Welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast this week. It's hard to believe we're already on episode 31 and can't thank you enough for the great deal of support that we've received from all of you in listening, supporting, commenting. And again, for those of you that have not subscribed or given us a five-star rating, please do so. It really helps us as we're working behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you. And today we're fortunate to bring on Anthony Winston III with Winston Engineering out of California. And the reason we brought Anthony on is because he is a small business owner. He has three employees, there's four. So we really dive into uh, the importance of marketing and branding and communication, how to deal with difficult clientele, and all the things that go into a small company and the many hats that we wear, which I think applies to most of us who listen. And a little background on Anthony, he's a licensed electrical engineering consultant. Uh, His firm provides HVAC, electrical and plumbing engineering for commercial buildings and residential. So he has great experience on both sides of the spectrum. But again, we really dive into social media. Anthony's involved in all the social media platforms just as we are. Uh, Great conversation with him. I think there's a lot of advice and content that many of us can apply. So definitely enjoy this episode. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast today. And we are super excited to bring on Anthony Winston III. So welcome, Anthony. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really fortunate to bring on Anthony today, and he has a lot of insight and experience that we wanted to share with all of you. So we'll kick this off, Anthony. So, you know, as a as a young uh, entrepreneur starting your own company, you know, what is the one thing you wish you had known when starting your company? Um, I think a lot of times, um, you know, people talk about the work and, and the grind and, you know, promoting yourself, but um, nobody talks about the people aspect of it, right? having to deal with um, sometimes many clients at one time um, and the different nuances that come along with that. I think that was the most challenging part initially, right? Because um, I've all, I've never really been a, a people person, but I had to learn to become one uh, pretty quickly. So, you know, I'm used to my last job or a couple jobs before I was kind of a lab rat. So you give me a task and I knock it out and I deal with management, you know, occasionally but now you really have to become a people person and 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 manage different personalities well it's funny you say that because when you think about just businesses in general you know there's one side as you mentioned when you're behind the scenes and you're just kind of managing your workflow and task but as you become Mm -hmm. an owner of a company and you start a company you know there's a customer service aspect you know and you alluded to being a people person and that i i know in a lot of people i talk to you know, one of their concerns about growing their company to a certain extent is they don't want to get into just the daily management of people, right? Because it becomes very complex. So how mm-hmm. have you learned to refine that skill? I mean, how do you go from being efficient as an engineer or scientist behind the scenes and now here you are having to interact and manage people and expectations and personalities? Um, I, I think it comes down to my my wants and needs for my family, Um forced me to do it, right? Um, I wanted to provide uh, a certain type of life, a certain type of stability for my family, so I had to do it. Um, When I first started the company, it was just me, right? I was the the electrical engineer, and that's all we offered. And people kept asking, hey, do you do mechanical and plumbing? And eventually I said yes, and I found the right resources. So I started hiring people, and that's a whole beast in itself. Um, It is you, I think I wrote a blog about this. You have to remember that these are actually people, right? They go through breakups. 
they they have school, they have family, they have other things. So you have to make sure that you kind of keep their needs um, first and foremost because you want to make sure that they're happy. Um, and on the other, on the flip side, handling clients. Not every client is, is alike. Some are very easygoing. Some are very demanding. Um, so I learned very early on that you need to check your emotions at the door um, because it really doesn't help the situation. It, it's, a, it's a good point there. You know, what's funny is we talk about the employee side. I mean, what have you found to be successful in hiring? You know, as you've grown over the years, that interview process, how do you make sure that the that the interviewee is, is good for the culture and the fit and, and shares your mentality as a business owner? Yeah, each one of my hires, we have three full-time employees. Excuse me, my allergies are crazy right now. Um, it's been a bit different. My first hire, um, Nick, my electrical, my junior electrical engineer, he came to me. He's a you know Purple Heart. He's a vet, and he said, "Hey, do you have any internships?" And I said, "Well, not really, but if you learn Revit, right, um, then we can talk." Two weeks later, he came back and said, "Hey, I, I've spent this amount of time learning it. I gave him a test, and it worked out." So. I hired him right then and there, and I said, once you graduate from, you know, from college, I'll give you a full-time job. So that was, that was somewhat of an easier process. And then my second hire was a mechanical engineer, and it just didn't work out, right? Um, and I think the issue with that is that I didn't spend enough time up front to, to get to know this person, right? Um, when you hire somebody, you're entering into a new relationship, so you can't just jump in without properly vetting. And when I say vetting, I don't mean doing background checks. I mean actually sitting down with them, having lunch with them, understand what their future career goals are, like get an intimate portrait of who they are. Um, and then my office manager who I hired, I took those lessons learned and she's amazing, right? All the clients love her. And, and so I, I think you have to take a holistic approach to, to hiring, not just looking at a resume and say, okay, you, you, you check all the boxes. You know, that's really great advice. It's funny. We're kind of going through this process right now. We're looking at hiring a new coordinator. And, um, you know, you touched on some points that I think are really important to understand is that as a business owner, when you're looking at hiring, you know, there's qualifications are one part. I mean, that's important. Anything we do to make sure they're qualified and they're going to be able to handle their scope of work. Um, but what I've realized is, is there's a couple things behind the scenes. One is we need to have, you know, in the past we've had it where we just kick them off a pier and you know, they need to figure it out, right? They're going to have to sink <laughs> or swim. And yeah. and so we've tried to work on some systems and protocol and, you know, to really give them a runway to be successful as they come in and integrate. But even more important than all that, because I believe that most of this can be taught. I think there's a culture, personality, relationship. And I think relationship's the key word that you use that I want to touch upon because what I found is that any company, if, if you're tight, if you have that company culture and you have that close relationship with all your team, you can be successful, right? And and that's the challenge is, is that if you don't have that culture, if you don't have that fit, that personality as you're vetting them and understanding kind of what drives them, you know, what their personality is, it's really hard to integrate them into the team to be successful from a, you know, performance side. Yeah. And, and I think it's, and sometimes that can be even tough because um, uh, Chris Rock has a, a, a comedy special where he talks about when you're dating somebody, they they don't show you the crust, right? They just show you the the, the internal part of the bread. And so sometimes people can hide the crust very well until they're actually in your organization, which can be problematic. So it, it, it really is a crapshoot 
um, you just have to do your best at it. Yeah, it is tough. You know, it's tough. And, and, and fortunately, I found that, you know, I before it'd be myself primarily handling the interviews. And now I've learned, OK, now as we've grown, I have, you know, my senior project manager and then my controller. She's involved. And so having that difference of opinion outside of my own where they can say, hey, this is a good fit for our culture and company. You know, we found that to be very successful, you know, as we've grown. And I'm sure, you know, as you're growing and you're what at four now, is that what you mentioned, Anthony? Oh, we're at, we have three full-time employees and then you have myself. Yeah, yeah. So you're getting there too. That's awesome. It's 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 great to see your growth over the years. So going back to the client side, you know, how, how do you deal with a difficult client? If someone's, you know, very unrealistic, um, maybe boisterous in some ways, you know, how have you found the best method to deal with that tough client? Well, in the very beginning stages, um, I'll tell you a quick story. My, my first daughter was, was born. No, it was actually my second. And a client called me and was like, hey, I really, really need you. This is when I was by myself and didn't have any employees. And I'm like, man, my wife just gave birth. We're literally in the hospital. And he's like, I really, really need you. We'll pay you whatever. And I'm like, all right, I'll only work at nights when they're sleeping. So I'm literally in the hospital with my wife and my daughter next to me in the bed sleep. And I, you know, I, I cranked this project out and a couple months later, we're like, where's the payment? And they come up with some kind of story, which I later found out was a lie, but he's like, we're not going to pay you. And I, I totally lost it. I started snapping. I started yelling simply because of the principle of, I did this, you know, while my daughter was being born and I walked out the room, my wife was looking like, Whoa, and at that moment, I knew I was wrong for doing that. No matter what they did, I was wrong for, 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 you know, coming out of pocket like that. And that was a lesson learned. So when it comes to difficult clients, I think you can mitigate that up front by having proper contracts, which we did. And sometimes that doesn't always work out. But proper contracts and have and set expectations up front very early on what you need and that you can't move forward without X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and I love that you said that. You know, it's funny. I've, I've found the same thing. You know, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you talked about being calm, right, as, as you're communicating. And, and, and that's really important because I've, I'm sure like all of us, you know, I'd love to have this perfect picture where everything looks great on social <laughs> media. But the reality is behind the scenes, you know, in fact, last week I had a customer yell at me, right? And it's not fun. My wife was sitting there like, wow, you have customers speak to you that way. And, and unfortunately, it's tough. And, and it's really hard not to escalate that and to be calm and professional you know, when someone's not living up to their end of the bargain, let's say. Yeah. But but what you alluded to, I think, is the most important thing for anyone to understand that's listening is that, um, you know, creating proper expectations, whether it be uh, payment terms, you know, and payment timeline, whether it be uh, contractual information, scope of work, you know, responsibilities, you know, all these things, as we communicate that and lay out that expectation and then have the contract to back it up, it really can eliminate a lot of the confusion or misconceptions or misunderstandings that happen between client contractor, contract engineer. Yeah. And you know, I, I've had, I can count on one hand. I've had clients who straight up said, I didn't read the contract. Yeah. And I'm like, come on at a, at a bare minimum. I think that's one of the, the misconceptions I came in is that everybody was on this, this pedestal in terms of professionalism. Um, and that's totally not the case. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's so true. You know, it is funny um, that, that that does happen with clients or subcontractors that haven't read the contract. And um, again, I think most of us are fair, you know, in our intent there. Um, but but it does give, 
you know, some descriptions. That's why I love providing scope of work because even though we could be in agreement, say someone such as you and I, Anthony, as we're discussing terms or a project, but you know, at the end of the day, there could be a misunderstanding. So putting it in writing definitely helps clarify things to make sure that there's no misunderstanding, right? Absolutely. And we and our process is we'll provide you with a proposal up front and we work through all the specifics of something you need change and then that gets converted to a contract. So you have two or three times to see everything and that's intentional. Which which is super smart. So, you know, as this evolves, you know, and I'm sure over the years, you know, your experience, you start to learn, you know, mistakes you made and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna let that happen again. So what are some of the challenges that you face as a small business owner? Um, uh, the challenge that I've gotten over is learning how to delegate tasks. Um, when you first start a company, it's your baby. You know, you want to make sure that you, you take care of everything. And I remember saying, I can do everything. I'll do the bookkeeping. I'll do the, the hiring. I'll do the client interactions. But you drive yourself crazy doing that. Um, so you have to hire, going back to hiring, you have to hire the right people that you trust, that you can trust to take care of tasks. And you have to wholeheartedly give them a task and let them run with it and not micromanage. That is the most difficult part of it. Um, the work side of things that I don't want to say it's easy, but it, it kind of is right. A building is a building and it's similar in terms of, of, of scope and what needs to be done. But it's, it's making sure that your team is running like a, you know, a well-oiled machine and trusting that your, your folks uh, take care of business. And if they make a mistake, don't treat it like it's the end of the world. Just say, hey, you know, this happened. This is how we're going to learn. This is how we're going to mitigate it. And it won't happen again. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the biggest takeaway in terms of business because you can't do it all. No, that's great advice. It's funny you say that because um, I would say right before I started my company, you know, this was probably nine years ago. Um, I was I was at a networking event with a successful company. I was talking to the owner, and he said, you know, the greatest success that he found is he learned how to empower his employees, right? And so what he had talked about is that, you know, most CEOs that are extremely successful or business owners are those that understand to hire people that are better than they are, you know, at certain things, yeah. um, whether it be estimating or management or coordination or purchasing. I mean, whatever it is, you, you find people that are extremely skilled and dedicated, and then you just empower them and let them go be successful, you know? So as the owner, you can focus on delegating tasks. And, and the most difficult thing as you alluded to is when we start a company, like I wanted my hands in everything, right? Micromanage. I want to know every schedule, what's happening. Are these guys showing up? Did they come today? You know, like, it, you know, where are we at on this bid? And so you have to learn to kind of step away, let them be successful, let them learn and empower them. Um, and delegate and hire people that are better than yourself. Yeah, and it's I I would imagine it's much harder for you as a contractor because you have a lot more moving pieces than I do, um, and you're dealing with materials and people and schedule. Well, everybody deals with schedules, but that material and a lot of people is I'm sure can be problematic sometimes. Well, it can, but at the same time, I mean, your name's on on the line too, right, Anthony? So, <clears throat> you know, it's important for you that your brand and reputation and documentation and engineering that everything's correct because at the at the end of the day, the buck stops at you, and that's where you have to make sure that you have the right people that that believe in what they're doing and have that ability to perform and be empowered. Absolutely, agreed. So, one of the other elements to this, right, that you know, as a small business, is we have to continue to fill that pipeline, right? So sales are super important. And I know that's one of the tasks I focus on a lot. It's just business development. So 
what have you found to be the best method for business development and sales uh, in your company? Um, I'm learning about building relationships, um, not just approaching people and saying, hey, this, my name is Anthony, here's my product. Right, you have to really figure out what people paint, what people's pain points are. And anytime I reach out to someone, um, in in my mind, I'm like, I touched that person at that point. They're gonna get back to me in about a year with the project. So I'm always thinking a year, a year ahead um, in terms of reaching out. But I'm on all social media. Um, I, I try to do what my competition isn't doing. And that and that's pretty much helped me. I'm involved with you know local chamber of commerces. I'm on the board of board of directors for the chamber. Uh, involved with you know certain city um, programs like Explore Marietta with tourism. So it, it the goal is to always meet as many people as you possibly can. I have a good friend of mine um, who said you should be sitting down talking to a new person every single day. And it, it's not always about me trying to get business out of them. It can be, hey, <clears throat> this person may need a general contractor, right? Well, I know somebody. Here you go. So there's, there's a lot of satisfaction in, in helping folks, you know, get to whatever their goals are as well. So I was taking <clears throat> vigorous notes here as you were talking because I couldn't even write, <laughs> it, write them all down, right? Um, <laughs> What's funny is I think there's a lot of ways we can take this. So one of them I want to, you know, bring up is they always talk about one of the keys to marketing is to build a network outside of your industry, right? And you mm. just said this right now that you said, okay, talk to a new person every day. And and it doesn't have to be someone that you'll maybe directly work with, right, Anthony? But as you build your network, uh, maybe for you, maybe it's realtors, maybe it's architects, but, you know, that's part of your industry. But maybe you're networking with restaurant owners, right? Mm -hmm. With um, someone entertainment industry or whatever it may be. And it's funny how, you know, that word of mouth and that bandwidth now increases because as you build outside your network, the whole intent is that people understand Anthony, what he does, and then that will help increase your revenue and sales, um, you know, reach. Exactly. And sometimes it can get repetitive. You're constantly telling your story, but that helps because that somebody in the background may have heard it twice and now it sticks. So, you know, their father-in-law may need an engineer or a contractor. And it's like, whoa, I know this guy. Well, it always takes, they say it takes at least seven interactions, right, of people to have that bring to their remembrance. And, and one of the keys to do that is social media, right? And you alluded to this, that, hey, how can I bring value? So what you mentioned is, okay, if I want to increase sales and marketing, I need to understand the pain points of my customer. So what are the pain points? What is it that's driving them? What are the issues they're having? How can I solve those? How can I bring value to them? And, and there's a few ways to do that, right? You can do that through experience, through networking, through communication, through questions. And then, as you mentioned, social media, right? And and what I've seen, and I've said this before many times, is that I've seen the most successful people that we've gone into business with are not those that the, media, the, the minute I connect with them are like, hey, Brad, this is my company. This is what I do. You know, that solicit really is a turnoff. But, you know. The, the companies that are there for six months supporting and commenting and engaging and liking and, you know, showing they can bring value and then they come and approach with an opportunity. It's mm -hmm. a lot. I, I'm more prone to have that communication with them and less resistant. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the worst processes that I go through, I, I have gone through is buying a car. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's exhausting. <laughs> 
it's like just just let me just be there to answer my questions. Don't keep trying to upsell me because it, it's a huge turnoff. Right. And so as a salesman, if you think about a car salesman, and we can all think of buying cars, how exhausting that is. But the really good ones are the ones that understand what is it you need. What is your goal? You know, whether it be a monthly payment, whether it be a purchase price, whether it be terms. I mean, and and what are the features? I mean, as they as they can diagnose what it is that your pain points are, mm-hmm. and then find a solution to that instead of try to upsell you, or put you in a program that's beneficial to them. You know, that's where you're going to be more enticed as the consumer. Yeah, I, I don't think they understand the long game, right? So if they sell, give somebody a great experience they're going to tell somebody else, right? So it's, it's going to, it's residual, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not this deal, it's the next one, right? It's like, you know, and that's what people need to understand that, you know, as you bring value or lost leaders, as, as you will, you know, it's a common term, you know, that can catapult into other opportunities. And it's funny that, you know, you also talked about, um, you know, the pain points and what is it to solve that? And I had a guest on um, a few episodes ago, Luann Nagar, and she's, you know, she's known as as she does uh, window coverings and, you know, these amazing designs for her, her customer base. And she had a client that had had found her and, and brought her in. And the story was that, you know, she said, well, Luann, I hear that you're really expensive, you know, and I hear but but I hear that you do a great job and you show up when you say you are. You communicate well. Your product's amazing. At last, you know, the installers show up in a company van and they're dressed perfectly and labeled and everything else. And, and her comment was, well, which of those would you be willing to give up, right? And, and the customer's like, well, none of them. Okay, so the price is worth it, right? And so it's really just educating our clients to help them understand what are the values we bring and how can we portray that? Because there are pain points for me. I see my customers are like, I hate how my job site's dirty all the time and people don't appreciate and take care of my investment. And so, okay, let's keep our job sites clean. It's a simple thing mm-hmm. that now is uh, solving a pain point in my customer. Absolutely. It, when you said that, it made me think of that triangle. I saw it early on in my career. I think I was working at Raytheon. It's like cost, schedule, and doing the job right or something like that. And you, 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 you can't have it all right. You can't have a low cost and then have somebody who does a great job and stay on, on task. And it's, it's always two of the three that's, you know, or one of the three that's going to suffer. Always. And cost always seems to be the same. And we know that it's a sensitive point for everyone in all my customers, no matter what price range they're building or investing, it doesn't matter. There's still that painful price point. And so mm-hmm. it's helping understand that balance about, okay, what are we willing to give up or sacrifice to get where we need to be? And then understanding how to communicate that properly. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Anthony. I mean, okay, so you started, you were yourself and we know how that goes. You're a one man band, you're a small company, you're starting, you're trying to do accounting and sales and then do the technical stuff, you know, and manage the schedules and be out in the field. So, uh, you know, as you're growing your company, you know, when did you find that it was most important to bring on someone else to help alleviate that? Um, that came about just from the, the sheer workload. Um, with my first employee, Nick, he was very instrumental in, in helping me, um, I don't want to say do some of the mundane tasks, but as he's learning, I'm giving him tasks that, that, you know, I could be focusing on business development, right? Cause it's all about that per hour rate. Um, my time is better spent trying to acquire more business, but, um, I, I know the, uh, the owner of Wilson Creek, 
uh, winery out here, and he invited me to this business this business group, and he said, hey, do you have an admin? And I said, no. He's like, so you're answering your phone? I said, yeah. He said, well, do you realize that your time could be better spent bringing in more money, right? So at that moment, I'm like, you know what? You're right, because as I'm doing design work, if I get a phone call, you've now just distracted me from, from that design. So I have to spend a few minutes to jump back into it. Um, so like, you know, Christina, she's, she's awesome. She not only answers the phone, she does a ton of other stuff, but that's just been a, a, a weight off of, of my shoulders. Which is so important. So it's really important to identify because a lot of people ask, well, when's the right time to hire? And, and it really depends on your company dynamic and your setup and, and profitability and, and, revenue is a part of that right because you have to pay yeah. someone but but to your point you know what i realized is i feel that it took too long for me to bring a few others on because had i brought them on sooner then we could have escalated that growth quicker and 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 you alluded to this because as you bring in people that now start taking care of um the day-to-day if you will you can start bringing in sales which now increases the projects and revenue and so mm-hmm. you can actually grow exponentially and, and it really increases your capacity um as a company. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in the very beginning, I was all about cost savings as much as I could, but then you, you really have to break down the, I don't want the, the, the future value of that investment that you make, whether it's like we use monday.com for scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not cheap, but it's, it's worth it. Right. It's just like you said, the lady who did the window coverings, um, it comes with all these bells and whistles, so you're going to have to pay pay the cost for it. Yeah, it's so important. And the thing is, as you mentioned, yeah, there's a cost maybe in an employee or software, but there's an investment too. You know, as we look at our employees or, or our team as assets in lieu of expenses, right, then it changes yeah. our mentality and allows us to have a different focus of the company. I, I like that. I'm about to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I know companies are assets, not or uh, employees are assets, not expenses, right? Yeah. So let me let me ask you this, you know, I, you know, as you, you work in a lot of team environments, you know, and you're part of a team, you know, as you're working in this field that we're in of of construction and engineering. So what have you seen as your work as a consultant, you know, to make teams successful? Um, the the most fun projects and the easiest projects to to get done is it starts from the top meaning the architect-client relationship. Um, because once that is solidified, you have a quality architect with quality uh, backgrounds, then it funnels down, right? So they may, the architect may tell you to go get an engineer or whoever's engineer on your team, and then you funnel that, that down. So communication between the architect to the contractor to the engineer is so critical. And then once you have a solid before it gets to us as the engineers, once you have a solid approved background, it's, you know, it's full steam ahead and we can just do our job. The problems come when you have a lot of changes um, from the client to the architect, because whatever reason, they can't make up their mind, their mind, aesthetics, whatever the case may be. But then that trickles down and then it causes us to do more work. And then you start seeing change orders and nobody likes change orders. So no, they don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it can kind of become problematic. But it, that, once you have a solid architect who knows what they're doing, have, has a lot of experience, it makes these projects go by so much quicker and smoother. So, you know, before I get into my next question, so primarily is most of your work through the architect or do you ever work with the client direct? 
It, it's a mixed bag. Um, our client base are architects, just regular folk, building owners, general contractors, subs, hire us quite a bit, developers. So it's kind of all over the place. So because you're working all over, you're dealing with a lot of different scenarios, right? So every project's going to have a different scenario, different relationship, and diff- different communication patterns. So let, let's just talk about your comment about, okay, the successful team is when the client has good understanding from the architect. So as that relationship's maybe going south or becoming difficult with changes, you know, how, I mean, what opportunity do you have as a consultant, right, an engineer to help kind of solve that quandary, if you will? Um, there, there, there's quite a few times where I'm kind of in the background while my team is kind of interacting, and I, I've almost learned to, it's that game of double dutch, right? You're kind of hopping back and forth, and then you jump in and say, hey, let's have a meeting, let's get all parties involved, and we can hash this out. That way, because sometimes the client doesn't know that they're the pain point, or the architect doesn't know that they're the pain point, and you, you professionally tell them that they are, <laughs> so that you can move forward, so that you can move forward and get things going. Because I can't expect you as a contractor to know the ins and out of what I do. Um, so it, it's a big education piece to that as well. No, I love that you said that. It's funny because it is true that most times, whether the client or architect or builder or whoever it is, they don't realize they're the pain point and the issue. And as you get this team together, and what I found is is what you spoke to is that in the in the projects that really struggle at pre-construction or really getting to where they need to be, there's typically a lot of meetings that aren't with everyone, right? You may have the architect just meet with the client. And then a couple of days later, the designer will meet the client and then the engineers involved. And so what ends up happening is, is there's changes in communication and ideas. But if you get everyone on the same page and bring them together and say, hey, you know, like, because your, your strategy, Anthony, is you could come in and say, okay, I'm doing the MP&E, right? The mechanical plumbing electrical. So you guys aren't, you know, architect client, you're not thinking about, okay, how are we going to ventilate this space? You know, how are we going to get electrical here? And, and let's solve this and find a solution that's going to solve all this and still take everything at hand so that we don't have cost overruns and challenges, you know, when it comes to actual construction. Oh, yeah. There's, there's quite a few times where, you know, somebody has an existing warehouse and, they have this nice, pretty building, and I'm like, well, where are we going to put the condensing unit? And they're <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think about that. So, Right, and they're not thinking about all the nuances. I mean, because you're the expert in the field, so you're going to understand all the little things that have to happen to be properly designed and planned, and they're not seeing that. And so as you can educate them and bring that team together and communicate that, there is opportunity for maybe VE, value engineering, or mm-hmm. creative design. And you know, so then that way you know that the builder's going to be happy at the end of the day because now everything's going to jive, right? And he can actually build exactly. a plan. And it's awesome when you have a builder involved early on because there, there are quite a few times where it's just the architect and engineer and then the uh, the builder comes in and says, what the hell is – we can't we can't even build it, <laughs> right? So It's so true. It's funny. I Every project – and I tell my customers all the time, and even those, if they're, if they're not hiring us from the beginning, I say, you know what, the, the best – project you'll ever have if you can bring on the engineers designers builder and architect at day one if you plan on doing a project commercial residential bring the team together put them in and let them work towards the budget let them work towards the success because all of them will have different experience and insight that will help you achieve your success the, where we always have the most challenges is when the architect and designer and engineers do this amazing design they bid it out and then there's this handoff but the contract was involved from the beginning to get some insight, and there's always that 
there's always mm-hmm. discrepancies that come up and challenges that could have been avoided had the contractor been involved from day one. Yeah, yeah. I finish projects and they'll say, hey, do you know a general contractor? I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's a tough spot for you to be in too because there's so many variables that go into that. I mean, as you as we spoke about just in hiring, right, so much of the relationship is personality. And, you know, there's, um, you know, they talk about in the medical field that, most doctors, you know, as they're sued and, and litigated for malpractice, it's because they didn't like their doctor, right? They had poor bedside manner. And so they said like 90% of doctors that are sued for malpractice are because the, the, the clients didn't like their doctor. And, wow. and it's, it's, yeah, and, and you apply that to us that it's really true. I mean, we're essentially married to our client, right? So for a couple of years. And so if that relationship's not there, if there's not good communication, if there's not good personalities, you know, it's going to be a struggle. And so that's why it's really important to interview and have a good engineer and good architect and good builder, because as you have that camaraderie, most of the stuff we can solve before we even break ground. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and let's dive into some, I, I know you're really active, Anthony, as we mentioned, you're really active in the social media, you're active into writing and blogs. And so, um, you know, you had written an article mentioning how clients own you when signing a contract and they don't, you know, they, they may not care about your sick kids. So how do you set that expectation with them before you start? Um, it's, it's really tough to do it, right? Because you're, you're essentially trying to date somebody. I'll equate it to that. You're trying to date somebody and you don't want to initially tell them what you're not going to do. Right. <laughs> um, and that, so it, I don't really have a firm answer for it other than if you're your own, you're a consultant, you own your own company, you have to stand, you know, stand your ground and understand that you may potentially lose that client and you have to be okay with that. So you have to put what's most important um, on the table. So recently, actually it was yesterday, a client uh, wanted us to do a site visit on Friday. And this is, you know, office, they were talking to my office manager and she's like, no, we're not doing site visits right now because of the COVID-19. And he said, um, you're just using the COVID as an excuse not to go to the site. And it's like, well, no, I'm not putting, I had a conversation with him and said, I'm not putting my team at risk. I'm personally high risk. My daughter's high risk. So I'm not doing it. I even once had a, uh, a wildfire that was getting pretty close to our house and the client was almost berating me because I wasn't doing the work. I'm like, we're packing up right now. So you just have to be upfront and honest with the client and just hope that they understand. I know that's not really a a good direct answer, but that's kind of how it has to be. No, it is. And and really it goes back to what you're alluding to. I mean, the key success is setting that expectation up front, right? If a, if, if your client's going to hire you, Anthony, and, and they understand, okay, you're a family person and, you also have, you know, other commitments, you know, and, you know, as, as you set those expectations in your contract and as your communication, you know, it's going to help solve some of this. And one thing I've seen, too, in addition to that is what we started doing is I've told my team, hey, um, you know, if you're getting emails, you know, after 6, 7 p.m., you know, you don't need to respond. You don't need to respond over the weekend and, and, and to help that, to help, you know, because my my team will, they'll, they'll get involved. And then sometimes it could be a late email from a client that's a little discouraging, you know, on an issue and it kind of defeats them, right, as they're spending time with their family and everyone needs that time away. So what I found is going back to your expectation, okay, I'll sit down with the client and say, hey, look, my team's super dedicated, right? 6 a.m. to, you know, 6 p.m., 
they're here, whether they're in the office or not, they're going to be on their phone. But if you have something that comes up, because some of my clients, you know, they work long days. And so they're going to email at 9 p.m. at night. And that's only because that's the downtime they have. It's not, mm-hmm. there's no malintent there. It's just that's their downtime. And so I tell them, hey, you may not receive a response till the next business day or till the following Monday. Um, because it's important that, you know, our team is able to um, recharge those batteries. And they understand that. So it goes back to your expectations. We set the expectation with our team, with our staff, and with our empl- our customers. You know, we can better bridge that communication. And, hey, if there's an emergency, if your house is flooding, absolutely call. You know, I tell my clients, if there's an emergency, call my staff, call me, you know, shoot mm-hmm. a text. But if it's just something we need to follow up on, send an email and we'll get to it, you know, at the next working day. Yeah, that's good. Um, you have to make sure that um, the person, the personal lives is what's most important. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, when I leave, you know, when I die, my headstone or whatever is not going to say he was an awesome engineer. It's going to say he was, you know, a good husband, a good father, a good son, whatever the case may be. Um, and just what you did will be a footnote. Couldn't agree more with that. And, and, and really that's your legacy, right? And, and the legacy for your people. And you want to, you want to create an environment too, where it's not so stress related for your staff that they also have an ability to get away and take vacation and shut their phone off. You know, where they're, you know, I have to find myself being careful too, as the owner that I'm not falling into that trap that, Hey, I'm not email them at 8 PM. Hey, did you get this done this bid? You know, and I have to be really careful to say, Hey, let me just put it on my to-do list. I'll check with them tomorrow. Um, so that that way they can enjoy the personal time. Oh, yeah, the, the snooze button and the emails, because our, our service through Gmail is, is amazing. Yeah, it is good. Well, it's funny because like all of us, you know, I, I, I as a business owner, I seem to always be working all the time and, and, and you know, things come to my mind and it's information, information out. And, you know, I have to be careful that, hey, you know, I, I don't want to set that precedence for my team either. Yeah. And you know what I did to help that is uh, about a year and a half ago, I got a, a second cell phone. So um, when I leave, you know, my home office, I leave my work phone in my office when I'm done for the day. Because even if you get a ping for an email, you'll look at it and you may see the first few lines and now it's on the back of your mind. And mm-hmm. if it's stressful enough, then it can, you know, ruin your time with your family. It can. And that is so hard because I found, you know, that email comes, you read that headline or that, you know, as you get that notification and it can change your mood. And then if, you know, my kids are screaming in the background. You know, now I'm already stressed about this work issue or conflict, and it can integrate into my home now and with my children that didn't really have anything to do with it. And that's where it's really important to understand how we deal with conflict, how we deal with issues, and whether we have two phones like you have, Anthony, to solve that issue or, you know, whether we put our phone down or put on airplane mode. I mean, we have to find some way that we're you know, overcoming the stress and anxiety that come with our day-to-day jobs. Absolutely. So let me ask you this then. So as an engineer, you know, what's something that you deal with in your world that most of us would be unaware of? Um, I think now it's uh, the most difficult task for us is plan check. Um, because especially here in California, uh, code changes can be pretty dramatic. And what happens is, for, for example, Title 24 is a big deal out here, right? It's, it's all about power conservation mm-hmm. and efficiency. And what will happen is a client will give us a project to do, we'll finish it, 
and they're like, what is, what are all these daylight sensors? Why, why do you have occupancy sensors everywhere? I didn't budget for this. And now, you know, they're upset. So something that the state has implemented that I've had to implement can potentially make or break somebody's project. And that's, that, I mean, that, that can be heartbreaking, right? You, I deal with a lot of small business mom and pop shops and, you know, this is how they want to feed their family and something that I can, that I've done has negatively impacted that. And, and that, that doesn't feel too good. You know, that's so difficult because where you're at, you know, you uh, are at the forefront of a lot of code changes and these stipulations. And most people don't realize that, yes, you know, there's great intent behind this, you know, power conservation and solar power that's going to be required on every new build and commercial residential. But what ends up happening is that drives up the cost of the project, you know, yeah. for a homeowner doing a residential home or for a commercial developer doing a hotel, it doesn't matter. There's these occupancy uh, sensors and everything else you're putting in that are now by code, you're responsible to not only be educated on it, because if you're designing it now and the project's going to start next year, you have to make sure that, that everything's in place for that so that they pass inspections. Mm-hmm. But it's also conveying to them, hey, this is going to drive the cost of the project. Yeah. And that, that specific example I gave was somebody who came from Ohio. So they had zero idea about what California will put you through in terms of building costs. California is not for the weary. I'll tell you, you know, I grew, <laughs> I, I, it's funny because I grew up in San Diego. So I was, you know, I worked in San Diego and I did electrical and, you know, moved to Phoenix when I was 25. Um, but I understand the regulation there, right? It's a lot different than Arizona. And it's funny because I, I had a guest on early in my podcast and he was an owner of many hotels, you know, a lot of Marriott's and other brands. And he had talked about that, you know, most of the time he had built through Arizona and, you know, Colorado and Utah and New Mexico. And, and he was, he's doing his first one in Palm Springs. And he mentioned, uh, the construction cost alone is double of Arizona. And the reason being is because of all these nuances he's constructing right now in 2020. So he's dealing with a lot of these new codes that aren't the same as what you'd see in Ohio. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a personal project of my own. Um, I'm looking at ground up, and CEQA is the ugly word around here, right? So it's the Environmental California Environmental Quality Act. I think that's what it is. And the fees are just crazy. I mean, we have fees for a kangaroo. It's a kangaroo rat fee. Yep, the kangaroo rat. Yep. <laughs> Um, and it's a couple other things. And then on top of that, if you, I mean, I, I assume this is everywhere, but if you come across um, Native American artifacts or you discover some bones or whatever the case may be, a borrowing owl stopped a movie theater build local out here. Um, so it's, it's interesting. And I, and I get the whole purpose of it, right? We, we got to take care of this earth, but there's still that development cost that can be very prohibitive. Absolutely. So, so let me ask you this with the complexity of, um, I, I don't want to say politics, but the complexity of codes and regulation and other things that we have to comply with, you know, and that education understand, you know, how are you doing your QC checks, your quality control to make sure that your designs are correct, right? That they're going to actually be buildable, but also that they're going to meet code and regulation. Um, a lot of it comes down to us like I have a, a checklist for, you know, for example, for building, for doing custom homes and it has code references and it gets updated regularly um, so that you can really go down and make sure that you're hitting every point. Um, 
And then two, once you go through plan check, they hardly ever let you through plan check without some kind of comment. So we work in multiple states and within those states, you have different cities and jurisdictions. So they have their own little nuances. So you try to mitigate that as much as you can, but sometimes it's, it's, it's very difficult um, to catch whatever the city may do. Cause one city may like this way and the other city may like it another way. So, um, and we also do peer reviews and things like that. So, um, you know, more experienced folks will catch something immediately. I love that. So there's two points here. You talked about checklists and peer reviews. And it's funny, I, a mentor of mine, he's a pilot and he said, you know, Brad, and, and he applied this to a lot of things in life, but you know, as a pilot, you have a checklist, right? As you sit down in your plane and you go through your checklist and there's many items, right? As you're checking gauges and, um, you know, all the mechanicals and other things, you know, there's protocol before you even, you know, start the engine in preparation for takeoff. So you go through this checklist and, and it's really a life or death checklist, right? You need to make sure everything's performing. And he said in business, it's very similar that you need to have a checklist, right? You need to have protocol. And so as you have a checklist, you know, it really becomes dummy proof as you will. So, you know, as you have it laid out and, and in, in essence, that's what you've done as you've learned and had these projects, you have a checklist, Anthony, that, okay, is if we're doing a custom home or we're doing a commercial building, Here's our checklist. Here's our protocol to make sure we're hitting A, B, C, D, E. That way, mm -hmm. nothing falls through the cracks. And then, you know, that checklist should be evolving and updated because, you know, as you're working with different municipalities and cities and, uh, you know, counties, you know, they're all different. And you have to understand what do they require? What do I need to make sure your ducks in a row? Yeah. One thing I, I think one one way that I've been lucky that I started out in California is that L.A. County is by far the hardest city to get through. And once you make it through there, everything else is pretty easy. Yeah, that's the best way to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> so are you from California originally? No, I'm actually originally from Chicago. Um, spent the first 14 years of my life there and then lived in Arizona, actually lived in Arizona for a little bit um, through ninth grade. And then I finished out high school here in, uh, Marino, in Marino Valley. But then I went back to Arizona State. So I'm very familiar with Arizona. So you love the heat, huh? Do you miss it? <laughs> Not at all. I went to uh, when I went to Arizona State. I went to summer school every single year just so I could graduate <laughs> in four and a half years. And that at the time the campus was a square mile, so yeah, that that summer heat is no joke. <laughs> yeah, summer uh, summer school in ASU that would be uh, uh, that'd be quite the venture. You know, I love it. Yeah. I. You know, I'm in construction here and everyone asks, you know, I grew up in San Diego, so it's a very moderate climate. And then mm -hmm. here I am dealing with these summers. You get you get climatized, but, you know, it's not uh, that acclimation isn't for everyone, for sure. Um, yeah, so, I, I blame my my uh, my uncle uh, in the 70s. He played in the NBA and played for the Suns. So a lot of his brothers and sisters followed him to Arizona. So that's the family just migrated. Uh, no wonder. So that's the ties <laughs> to Arizona then. Yeah. Hey, it is better weather than Chicago, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I I can't you can't beat it. I mean I live in Marietta, which is what, an Still hour from San yeah. Diego, so yeah. it's not as bad and this is probably San Diego has the most perfect weather I've seen ever. Yeah, it's great weather. A little cloudy sometimes, but but getting back on track here, Anthony, you know, it's fun to hear your story. So, you know, where where did that passion come from from engineer? I mean, how did you even uh get into the field you're in? Um, it just started out as a kid, just being naturally curious and breaking stuff. And my mom, you know, getting upset <laughs> with me about it. Uh, but when I initially in high school, I was like, I want to be a network administrator just because it sounded cool. But then when I, I went to a minority bridge program at Arizona State the summer before I started, 
and I found out what they did, and I said, no, that's not for me. So I, I really looked to see which engineering discipline um, makes the most money, and at the time, it was electrical, so I chose that. And I was lucky to have one, a professor in one of my upper division classes saying, hey, the power industry, a lot of folks are retiring. Um, a lot of people are aging out. You should really look into this. And, you know, I, I, w I was a great student in high school, but in college, I struggled a lot. I needed a lot of help, um, but I just wouldn't quit. So once I started getting to those upper division power classes, it became easy. So I'm like, this is definitely the path for me. That's amazing. And so, you know, as far as that passion, did you end up working for a firm before you end up starting uh, your company? No, I kind of took the long route. Um, wow. I, I, my first job out of, out of college was at Raytheon. I worked in missile defense, uh, building test stations for um, radar and missile systems. Um, I originally wanted to work for a utility, but they weren't paying for relocation because I needed to move to Boston. And um, after about two, three years, I kind of got tired of, of being out in Boston and wanted to move back to California. So I, I worked for General Atomics, which did some Navy work. And... Uh, Worked there for five years, got my engineering license, and realized you can't use construction, your construction license at you know a firm like that. So I took a pay cut and worked for Helix Electric um, out of San Diego, and um, yeah, everybody does. And then oh, yeah. uh, my first project was the uh, L.A. Federal Courthouse in downtown uh -huh. L.A. Uh -huh. So I was com uh, commuting a few hours a day, and I was in the field bugging the electricians, understanding it right because I hadn't hadn't really been in construction. And once I saw drawings and heard their complaints about drawings, I taught myself how to use different programs, and here we are today. That's an amazing story. It's funny. You know, I know Helix Electric. I did uh, some subcontractor work along with them in Little Italy in San Diego. Okay. Um, but, but going back to your comment, there, so it's interesting. So, you know, there's some advantage to having that versatility, right, that instead of, you know, just maybe being in your little sandbox of – engineering you know you had a lot of experience working for other companies and understanding their systems and protocol and how they manage their people and and so i'm sure that's really helped you um you know because a lot of people say hey brad i want to start my company my always first question is well go work for someone because what whether it's your exact field or not one of the challenges of just starting your own you you only know what you know so going somewhere else you're going to have understand different management styles even if it's a different company, right? And techniques and scheduling and management and software and all these things that now you can now use for your experience and gain as you start your own thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, these were, you know, right down multi-billion dollar companies. So the hierarchy was pretty substantial. And I remember out of college, I'm like, you know, I want to be the CEO of a big, huge company. And when I got there, I was like, no, that's, no. that's not for me. <laughs> Um, because you move away from tinkering and you start getting into a lot of spreadsheets. And that when I saw my manager doing that, I was like, uh, he doesn't look like he's having a good time. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely, you know, it's, and it's great to have that experience because you may think you want one thing in your profession, but having not seen that firsthand, you wouldn't really know, right? And I think that's really yeah. valuable for anyone listening is, is chase that experience. You know, I always say chase experience, not money. Chase that experience. Even like you said, you took a lower paid job, you know, when you were, you know, going to Helix Electric. Well, that allowed you now to get to where you are. And sometimes you have to do that to take a step back, to take a step forward. And and that's okay to do so. And, and you know, most of us are be working towards 65, 70. So even at 30 years old, you can take, hit the reset button. You still have 40 years of your yeah. professional career, right? And most of us just get too sidetracked, you know, with that mentality. So 
Yeah, and I think uh, I, I always wonder, you know, if worst case scenario this thing didn't work out, and I had, I wonder if I could be an employee again. Something <laughs> tells me it would be very difficult. Oh my goodness, no doubt. So <laughs> let me ask you this, you know, Anthony, as far as you know, the experience you had working for all these companies, you know, what are some other avenues of continuing education? I know that you're an avid reader, and you, you know, different books. Are there any books that have had a big impact on you and how you navigate the business world? Uh, in terms of the business world, there are, there are a couple. Um, I like Simon Sinek's um, book, Leaders Eat Last. I'll, I'll touch on two of the books. So Leaders Eat Last, he took kind of a tribal approach to how you, how you manage your employees. Um, and that really kind of changed my views of, of how you treat your employees. And I think it worked out for the best. And then start with why. We kind of touched on this before. Initially, I would come and say, hey, I'm Anthony. These are my products where you, you need to start with why, you know, my name is Anthony. I, I, you know, starting my own company five years ago allowed me to spend more time with my family. Um, if you'd like to discuss, you know, some of your pain points, let me know. Um, and they, they talk about how Apple, if you ever watch an Apple commercial, they never talk about price ever. Mm -hmm. It's always about some type of emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third book is actually by Kevin Hart. His uh, his kind of life story. I can't. It's called I Can't Make This Up. Um, it's a hilarious book, by the way. But um, in there, he talks about his his hustle, where he was, you know, touring early on, and he'd be passing out flyers in the malls, putting them on cars, things like that. And that kind of struck me is that somebody who kind of reached that height at that point is out passing out flyers. So, you know, you, you're never above it all. I will go to Home Depot at 6 a.m. and hand my card out to contractors, right? Because early in the morning is when they're actually at Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever the case may be. So mm -hmm. um, I'm never, I'll never get to a point where I'm too dirty or, 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 or something is too dirty for me to, to jump in, figuratively and literally. <laughs> I love that advice. You know, the reality is, you know, that grind, I, I think most people don't realize to be successful as a small business, it's a grind. I mean, it, and it's a continual grind and it's important. You got to always be kicking those tires, right? And and that's what you're doing, right? Finding different avenues to bring value, share your message and and build that pipeline. And and yeah. you can't cease. You, you have to continue to do that because the reality is, you know, technology change, information changes, environments change like we're dealing now with coronavirus and so we have to learn to evolve and move and and, and kind of navigate through all these things yeah so what's go ahead go ahead anthony i was gonna say this this whole coronavirus thing is just it's just scary because no one nobody really knows what's going to happen and what the the new world is going to look like right i know as things start to stage open and you know how, it's not business as usual so how does that affect travel restaurants you know communication shaking hands you know um how does our society change? It'll be interesting to see how this evolves and how, you know, and that's why it's important for us to really look at our companies and situations and dynamics and protocol and, okay, what are we doing? How can we refine that? How can we better it? Um, you know, just to provide a better service, bring value, right, to our clients, yeah. as, as you've alluded to throughout this entire conversation. So what's next for you, Anthony? What's What are you excited about? Um, right now, we're just... Um uh, we're getting a lot of activity um, from a lot of different architects because now with this, the, the, the pandemic, people are concerned about social distancing and, and things like that. So building designs will change. Um, so that's, that's kind of exciting. Um, accessory dwelling units has been a, a buzzword out here uh, trying to help with the homeless. 
situation. So I think there are some some really good opportunities. Um, I, I just put out on social media that we're offering free services to a small business owner who maybe we're in the middle of their design process and then this COVID thing hits. Um, so now their dream is on hold. So we're, we're offering that. Um, and then personally, I'm just, I'm trying to look at other business opportunities, right. To, to kind of, uh, spread out, I guess, um, where income comes from because this COVID thing has just been a, a huge gut punch to a lot of folks. Um, and we can't necessarily rely on public services to be there at all times. So uh, instead of just waiting and seeing, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, forge my own path and see what I can, what I can do. Well, I'll say this, you know, it's funny, as you said all this, you left some great points, you know, as we're closing this out that, you know, the, one of the, my favorite quotes is generosity precedes uh, prosperity, right? So you talk about mm -hmm. that even now in this tough time, you're giving back, you know, that's, that's super important to be charitable. Uh, number two, Diver diversify, right? Learn how to diversify, um, you know, our company, our methods, our investments, you know, uh, our strategies, whatever it may be, so that we're not all into one, we don't have all our eggs in one basket. And then, yeah. of course, also, you know, what you're looking forward to is, okay, how do we evolve? How do we, you know, there's going to be different projects from accessory dwelling units and, you know, how do we, uh, how, how can we be at up in front to be considered for these projects by, by evolving our company? And so, Great advice, you know, diverse, diversify, you know, evolution, and of course, you know, the charity aspect. So, I mean, just oh, such yeah. sound advice as, you know, from you, Anthony. I mean, at the end of the day, my goal is to to do well enough where I don't have to work, where I can focus my attentions to um, to service. That that's, I mean, that's that's my ultimate goal. Well, that's a great goal. So. I love that, Anthony. Thanks again for spending so much time. So where can our listeners uh, find you? Um, I'm all over social media. Uh, my website is just very simple, winstoneng.com. Uh, if you search Winston Engineering on, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I post very heavily on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search my name on LinkedIn, Anthony Winston III. Um, but yeah, I try to keep it fresh and <laughs> sometimes entertaining and sometimes serious, but I just try to mix it up. So. Well, I really appreciate you spending time. And I know we connected on on LinkedIn and, and really appreciate all you're doing, Anthony, and for making time today. So thank you. No problem. And shout out to you for all your pretty pretty pictures from your projects. Man. You, you guys do great work. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. It's been fun. You know, I'm very fortunate to have an amazing team. I will say I have, I have a great team and great people and believe in what we're doing. So it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. A big thanks, Anthony, for joining us today. And Always great to have these guests on to share such great information for all of us that we can apply and hopefully utilize in, in our company dynamic. Right now in Phoenix, most of the businesses are opening up. We've been fortunate to work through the downturn, but I know the hair salons open this week and in the coming weeks, restaurants. So hopefully everyone stays safe, going to get this economy going and everyone back working. And one of our guests, JJ Levinsky, who's been on quite a few times, uh, wanted to flip the script and do a reverse interview. And so he wanted to host myself as we talk about AFT and how our company's progressed over the years and so that'll be coming in the upcoming weeks definitely stay tuned for that and we have some great guests in the pipeline so stay tuned again like comment subscribe helps us a lot and again reach out if you have any questions that you'd like us to address on the podcast <laughs>